In other words, if you used to be able to say, sure, I can justify paying 20 times sales. Now you're saying, no, I can, I can pay 10 times sales or well, actually, uh, maybe price to sales is no longer valid metric. Hey, what about price to cash flow? Or, oh my gosh, price to earnings. Holy cow. <laughs> we need real profits. You're listening to Traders Insight Radio by Interactive Brokers. Find more podcasts and daily market commentary at tradersinsight.news. Please remember any trading discussions are for information purposes only and are not intended to portray recommendations. Please listen to further disclosures at the end of today's episode. Now, welcome to our show. Let's get started. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Interactive Brokers Traders Insight Radio. Today is February 16th. We're taping this podcast with one of my friends in the business, Adam Johnson, the chairman and publisher of Bullseye Brief. He's been a contributor uh, for at Traders Insight for several years now as well. I think that's how we met back when um, was sort of the mutual connection once I started to actually move out from the trading desk full time and, and start publishing. Why don't you introduce yourself to everybody and uh, and we'll get going from there, Adam. Oh, thanks for having me, Steve. It's it's great to be with you and uh, love the Interactive Brokers team. Um, I mean, you guys are just the best. You know, I'll 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 pen a, a piece. You know, I'll come up with a cool chart, write a paragraph or two, and inevitably I, I I get a call from the team. Hey, do you guys have anything this week? And we'll put it out there, and I get a bunch of comments and and feedback. So I love being part of the community. And I write an investment letter called Bullseye Brief, which is. Uh, well, I focus on American ingenuity, the people and companies driving the world forward. So obviously I'm a growth investor. I got a lot of tech, a lot of biotech, a lot of med tech. I put out a new stock pick every week. Uh, I tell people what I'm doing in the portfolio. And, um, you know, we, 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 um, we grow together. You know, uh, we've outperformed the S&P 500 pretty significantly since I launched this thing in 2016. It's a lot of work, but it's a labor of love. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, if, 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 if you do what you love, you're not really working. And no one said this is easy. It, it, no. It's all, it all, it all requires work. And it's, it's a lot of work. And in this market, let me tell you, it's a lot of patience too, because, you know, for a couple of years, I mean, it was like, every time I bought a stock, it just went up. In fact, it was getting to the point where guys were, were kind oh, that's of such a big problem. Yeah. <laughs> but guys were, but no, seriously, guys were pinging me on Thursday and Friday because I publish on Sunday morning. And they were, you could just tell they were trying to get me to sort of say what I was gonna publish on Sunday because they wanted to get a jump on it. And you can't do that. Everyone's gotta have a fair shot Monday morning. But you know, in a bull market, if, 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 a, if, if a guy like me comes out excited about a name and I've got followers all over the world, you know, there's buying interest and the thing pops. Um, and, 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 and at this point, you know, you just, you want money to come around and for it not to open down like everything else. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, this we're going to get into the the current environment and how it's changed in a little bit. But I think the listeners would be very interested to hear your background, which is which is quite interesting. Oh, well, thank you. Um, I thought I was going to be a doctor and I uh, went to Princeton as a pre-med. And my uh, econ 101 prof was Alan Blinder, former vice chair of the Fed. And he goes, so uh, remind me, I went up to him one day after class ask a question. He goes, remind me your name again. I said, it's Adam Johnson. He said, uh, yeah. And what's your major, Adam? I said, well, it's probably molecular biology because I'm pre-med. He goes, that's a bad idea. <laughs> I said, Professor Blinder, why? He goes, because you're the only one who comes up to me every day after class and asks questions. I think you like economics and you should be an economics major. 
And admittedly, in that moment, I, I it changed my whole life. So I, you know, ended up majoring economics, um, went to Merrill Lynch, a two-year analyst program. I had structured mortgage-backed securities because I wrote a thesis on mortgage-backed securities. How I got there from molecular biology, I don't know, but whatever. And um, and then I traded oil for Louis Dreyfus uh, for a number of years, eventually left oil and, and went to a wonderful firm called Furman Cells, where I traded stocks and stock options for a number of years. We sold ourselves to ING, the big Dutch bank, started a hedge fund with a few guys, including the CEO, and started going on television eventually as a guest. Um, that was during the financial crisis. And Bloomberg said, would you ever join us full time as a TV person? So my then mentor said, you know, no one gets a shot like that. Why don't you do it? I was at Bloomberg. I loved it. I uh, was there for five years on air every day for three hours, but I missed being in the game. And so I left, I launched Bullseye. I've been doing that six years. And, you know, Bullseye is my, my life story, right? It's, you know, analyzing companies or my professional life story, analyzing companies for many years, then going to Bloomberg and talking about companies. Now I've brought it together as bullseyebrief.com. So that's the, that's the story. That's, you know, I wanted people to get that perspective because you've got a, a, a very varied background. You know, a lot, you know, people come up in one part of the business. You've done several different parts of the business. I think that, yeah. that provides you a lot of perspective that, that people don't have. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, <laughs> at times it's felt like left turns, but, you know, in retrospect, as I look <laughs> back and, it, and even as I, you know, sort of hear myself tell you the story. Uh, it actually makes sense. Each, each thing did logically need to lead to the next, but you know, in the, in the, in the fog of war, sometimes it's, it's hard to see the way forward. So let, let's talk about navigating this environment because, you know, we, we've been in the last couple of years, I think have, uh, given people sort of a, I'm going to call it a false sense of security. Um, and that, that to, to some extent that's been changed over the last month or so. Tell me how you've really navigated what I'm going to call actually a challenging environment for fundamental investors, because fundamentals tended to matter a bit less when the, when the tide was rising. How did, you, how did you navigate this? Well, it's not been easy. I mean, you know, every day there's a, there's a blow up and, and a lot of the blow ups aren't, aren't justified. I mean, you know, you look at some of these, these companies that um, come out and marginally miss earnings or lower the lower end of the forward range of guidance. And suddenly the stock's down 20%. You say, really? 20%? But you know, the algos have jumped on everything. I think one of the things I've been able to do, well, there are two things. Um, and, and, and history has proven that they're generally, these two strategies are generally successful. Uh, but uh, right now uh, we're still in the, in the thick of it. Um, the first thing I do is I, I make my position sizes smaller. So instead of having 4% of capital at cost in every name. So in other words, if right 25 positions instead of 25 stocks, you you yeah. have you have more less concentrated positions among bigger names, among a bigger yeah. list of names. Yeah, well, so what I've done is I've lowered the 4 to 3, right? So in theory, you know, it's 3 uh uh it's uh, 25 3% positions. Oh, so you're carrying more cash. You know, we're carrying more okay. cash. And by doing that and saving a little ammo, when I get a blow up, I can come in and buy something down 20, 25%. And I don't feel like I'm already choking. So I think having a little more cash in order to be tactical when you need to be is one thing, one thing to do. Um, and the, the, the second 
thing I've done is I've really stopped staring at the screen every day. <laughs> the worst thing a guy like me, a long-term investor can do is stare at the screen. I'm not a trader. I mean, I've been a trader in my previous you know, lives, but I'm, I'm, I'm an investor. That's what I do. I'm trying to, again, find the people and companies. I explore the people and companies you know, driving the world forward. And that takes time. My average holding period is well over a year. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of silly for me to just stare at the screen, you know, from from Tuesday at, you know, 2.20 p.m. to 2.40 p.m. and get all worked up. I mean, really? You know, yeah. so so uh, smaller positions and, and, and looking at the screen less. That's that's two ways I'm dealing with the, the sort of madness of the moment. The, the way I unpack that, you know, and, and correct me if I'm mischaracterizing it, is um is is something I've been preaching, which is cash is your friend when when volatility increases. Yeah. Number one, number two is there was an old market making adage. We used to have it in big red letters on the wall of the room. Was when it gets crazy, shrink position sizes, widen spreads, um, raise volatility. Now you're not trading options. So the third one doesn't apply. Mm -hmm. But um, you know that that this is this to me is is a very good lesson from an experienced investor which whether you're trading short-term or investing long-term, the, the mentality is quite similar, which is when things get rocky, you have to have a little less conviction and a little, uh, you know, in every, you can't be pedal to the metal in everything. So if we were willing to, um, from an market making point of view, if we were willing to be 25 up on something and it's volatile, you're 15 up. Or yeah. if you're, or, you know, or if you're used to trading with a, a 10 cent spread, you're trading with a 20 cent spread. In your case, you know, because you're you're not trading, you're investing. That's that's adding cash as ballast to your portfolio that allows you to be opportunistic. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And you know, it's hard to do that. And it, you know, it's really hard in the moment to say, okay, I'm going to take my position sizes down. You know, I mean, what suddenly changed? Why are you suddenly bearish? Um, you know, it's just it's hard to do. I mean, look. We can go back and realize that on November 8th of last year, the um, the uh, five year break even, the you know, forward on the tips uh, spread blew out to like 338, the widest it had ever been. And in that moment, everyone said, oh, my gosh, maybe this inflation is no longer transitory, which, by the way, was well ahead of Jerome Powell's admission. He yeah. came out, I think it was, you know, like six weeks later um, and said the same thing. Um, so the market figured it out and that was the day where all my beloved growth stocks stopped going up and, you know, we, we, right. We can look back retroactively and we'll remember that lesson next time. Uh, you know, because investing successful is investing is, 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 is about learning, you know, being a student of the market, learning and remembering and applying and reapplying. Um, so we'll remember that lesson, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really hard on a given day, whether it's November 8th or April 23rd or who knows what, to say, aha, look at this, something changed. Therefore, I'm going to change. That's it, really hard to do. And I, I think one way to try to capture some of that is to do what you and I are doing now, which is figure out a group of friends that you trust, kind of have a pack, like a wolf pack, and you just <laughs> share ideas and you yeah. share stuff. And hey, I noticed this. What do you, what do you think? And, you know, you try to form a little mini consensus among yourselves. That, that might be one way to try to, you know, 
I think it's very important. And, uh, you know, you and I have been out to dinner and you, you know, you know, I've got this little pack that I do this with. Not everybody yeah. who's in the investment business either, um, but I think it's very important. It's a, it's a good check on what goes on in the real world, and that's a very important thing to do. Does does this make sense? Have things have things changed materially, or are we hearing noise? And separating the signal from the noise can be very difficult to do, and it, it, it helps if you have other people who have good filters, signal-to-noise filters, um, to bounce stuff like that off, yeah. which, as a growth investor, yeah. one of the things I've been pondering, and I'd like your opinion on this, is one of my assertions after last earnings period, when they basically took you know, Netflix and, and, and Facebook to the, to the woodshed, was, is this the market's way of saying what happens when a growth stock no longer grows? Or do you see those as more temporary? My assertion was this was the market, a market that in many cases had become in love with growth at any price, as opposed to growth at a reasonable price, realizing that you know, that growth premium, if a company's not growing, that growth premium uh, comes out in a heartbeat. As a growth investor, I really want your take on something like that. Well, yes, I agree with you that there is a repricing happening. In other words, if you used to be able to say, sure, I can justify paying 20 times sales. Now you're saying, no, I can, I can pay 10 times sales. Or, well, actually, uh, maybe price to sales is no longer valid metric. Hey, what about price to cash flow? Or, oh my gosh, price to earnings. Holy cow. <laughs> we need real profit. So yes, there's a repricing that's happening um, at, 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 at the growth end of the spectrum. Um, but, you know, it's not just growth. Um, I mean, Disney uh, got whacked 25 or 30%. Uh, Blackstone got whacked 25 or 30%. Starbucks on and on and on. These are great companies. And I think a lot of what's happening is that the algorithms, the computer-based uh, trading programs are latching onto headlines. And because they no longer need a plus tick to short stock, they are just hitting stock and clearing bids and pushing stocks as hard and as fast as they can, sometimes based upon just one headline, which may ultimately actually prove um, incorrect. I mean, one of my biotechs, the first headline came out and, and it made it look like the company um, uh, did not uh, produce strong data. And then if you actually read the second half of the sentence, you realize, no, it really did. So the stock went down 25% and then not only came back up to even, but went up 25%. It had a 50 percentage point range in like maybe seven minutes because um, some people, actually not computers, read the press release. Again, what a concept. Wow, we actually read the press release. We listened to the CEO. We ran the numbers. Computers don't do that. And I think right now um, the algorithms are the dominant investors and they're, they're exacerbating volatility based upon trading headlines. Um, it's making life hard and this too shall pass. But right now, they're, I feel like they're in control. I'm going to agree to a point on that one. I think from a trading point of view, you're right. And I've been on the other side of this. The machine reading algorithms are hyper aggressive and they're indiscriminate. And they use whatever means at their disposal to establish the long or short exposure yeah. that they want. And I do think a certain amount of fundamental investing is being handed over to the machines as well. You know, you know if you change that Whatever it is, the denominator in your equation, it's it's going to change the valuation of the company. Where I where I push back a little bit is, in the case of you know one of these stocks getting whacked on earnings, if the computers were wrong, you'd expect to see the result 
that you saw with your biotech stock, where they were. And this was a great opportunity for someone who did read it and did understand it rather than a superficial headline. What a wonderful opportunity to pick up a stock on the cheap, or if you're a trader, to, to buy low, sell high. In the case of some of the bigger names, I'll argue that, that some of the movement you saw in, let's say, a meta or a Netflix was machine-driven but you didn't really see a huge bounce back afterwards, which would make me think that might be machine investing, but it's not machine trading. Yeah. Uh, okay. That's a fair point. Um, and I will, I will sort of add to that, that I think negativity right now has gotten the best of us. Um, and I could cite any number of metrics you want from uh, University of Michigan consumer sentiment at a 10-year low to um, about a week ago, the number of bears being at a multi-year high number of bear, uh, bulls being at a multi-year low. Um, I mean, there are just so many sentiment metrics that suggest, I mean, look at look at the ratio of um, uh, uh, the PE ratio of small caps to uh, the PE ratio of large caps. It's compressed to a 20-year low. Yeah. Small caps are um, as cheap relative to large caps as they've been in 20 years. I mean, there is so much negativity. And so I feel like the machines, especially on a negative headline, will start the momentum down. But then everyone just says, ah, it sucks. Yeah, just sell it. Everything sucks, you know? And we're in this negative feedback loop. And, and we will pull ourselves out of it. I don't know when, I don't know why, but we will. Because whenever sentiment gets that lined up on one side, as I believe it is right now, by all these metrics I'm mentioning, um, it, it's going to reverse. But uh, it, it, right now, it's really hard to find uh, a bull or to find an optimist or, 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 or to find someone with a smile on his or her face. I have to second that opinion. We've gone from somewhat euphoric to, to incredibly gloomy in a very short period of time. And I find it interesting because I've, I have seen some really good inverse correlations between the price of oil and this gloominess, which, which is so superficial because it's only one minor component of what we... I shouldn't say minor, but it's only one component of how we live our lives. Right. But it's kind of fascinating. The, you know, the rhetoric about how many people think the economy stinks, when by any measure, the economy is really good. I, I think that's a real, there's the psychological dysfunction. I, I can't uh, disagree with you on that at all. I think that's that's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. 6.9% GDP. I mean, that's gangbusters. 4.2% uh, unemployment. That, according to former, you know, uh, my former economics uh, professor, Alan Blinder, right? The guy who changed my mind about med school. Uh, he used to tell us that full employment was six and now we're at 4.2. I mean, you know, earnings estimates, they keep revising them up um, because they're too low. Again, we're too pessimistic. I mean, it's just amazing to me. You know, thinking about consumer sentiment right now for a moment, Steve, isn't it amazing that sentiment is more negative now than it was in March of 2020, the depths of COVID when we thought the world was going to end? We're more <laughs> negative now. How can that possibly be? I feel like we've lost the plot. We're also freaked out about inflation and rate hikes that we've just we, we, we've lost the plot. We need to snap out of it. I think that some of the nervousness surrounding rate hikes is we can. I want to talk about that more at length because I, because I think the the Fed's actions and what the the Fed's actions and the Fed's verbiage may or may not match what's going on. But I think in terms of the idea that people are so down on the economy, when I look at the numbers, you rattled off some. We had retail sales numbers blowing away expectations. I forget. I think it was Milton Freeman, but I may have the economist wrong. But it was like, don't watch what they say, watch what they do. And it's very interesting because people are 
economic activity is going gangbusters. But yet, you know, sentiment is 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 miserable. And it's it really is an interesting conundrum. I, you know, if we have another two hours, we could get into the psychology of how we changed the nation's psyche because of COVID and the response and the isolation, et cetera. That's going to be the next thing that we're going to have to, that we're reckoning with now. And history will show us what the answer is. Yeah, for sure. Now, you mentioned rates, and, and I'm not a psychiatrist, so I'm going to leave that one alone, but I will address rates for a moment because there have been four rate hike cycles since 1990. In other words, extended periods of time when the Fed was raising rates. Yep. And if you go back and look at what stocks did, in each case, stocks rallied. Specifically, by an average over those four uh, rate hike cycles, by an average of 13% over 15 months. So the notion that rate hikes or that rising rates uh, is necessarily bad for stocks is actually wrong. The data does not prove that out. Ironically, when the Fed is lowering rates, that's when it's bad for stocks because the Fed's playing catch up and it knows that the economy is is tanking. So they're lowering rates because the economy stinks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Raising rates because the economy exactly. is good. So this is ironically when you want to buy stocks. So uh, I think eventually people are going to kind of wake up and realize that that they're, that, that they're looking at it the wrong way. And my hope, and again, I, I don't I don't mean to be you know such a Pollyanna, Steve, but my hope is that. You know, the Fed's going to come out, start raising rates. We're going to say, OK, they're finally doing it. Whoop-de-doo. And people are going to say, wait, and the economy's doing great and unemployment is low and earnings are on the rise. OK, fine. Rates are going up. Real rates, meaning adjusted for inflation, are still going to be way below zero for a long time. And when you do have inflation, what's the single best asset? It's not gold. It's stocks. They go up the most. We're not there yet, but we'll get there. It's interesting because I do think a lot of the Fed's jawboning is setting us up for that. I think I, I think what they like to do is see how much the market can bear, you know, sort of do the stress test, as it were, you know, 25 basis yeah. points, 50 basis points, six hikes, five hikes, two hikes, you know, see what see what freaks the market out and see what they take in stride so that when the meeting happens in March, the market does take it in stride because it's sort of been predisposed to it. I've, yeah, I've run the numbers. Point. I'll see if we could link it in when we do it. Um, I Before every Fed meeting for the last couple of years, I've been sort of running the, the total sort of the, since they tend to be on Wednesdays. Where are we on Tuesday afternoon? Where are we on Friday afternoon? Figure it takes really two days to work its way through. During the, from March 2020 on, I may have the numbers not exactly oh, yeah. right. But yeah. basically uh, there were, I think, 12 Fed meetings. I think 10 of them we closed lower during that period. And that was during a raging bull market when the Fed was doing nothing but pumping liquidity. And and that hmm. my, my, in thinking about this, it was like, okay, people got so ahead of the Fed's message that when they actually did speak and weren't doing beyond what they were already doing, people got a little disappointed. Since there have been four meetings since the Fed has changed its, ver, you know, its tone a bit, let's say since uh, September, you know, uh, September 2020. Three out of four of those meetings, we've been higher in that period. Mm -hmm. And I yep. think it's the same sort of, you know, reverse psychology as people got so nervous about what the Fed might say or do, oh, you know, whether vis-a-vis -vis tapering, vis-a-vis -vis rate hikes, whatever. The, the one exception was quarterly expiration in December, which weird things can happen on, on, on quarterly expirations for, for various other reasons. But the other meetings since then, we've been higher 
despite the fact that we've been pulling back. So it's it's a um, it, it's a little bit of financial jujitsu or psychological yes. jujitsu that the Fed does. I think they kind of push the market in one direction, and then it gets a little the ba- rubber band gets a little bit stretched. I don't think it mattered much during a raging bull market if they you know pushed it too far and we pulled back a little. It, it ultimately did no damage. And I think they're trying to do the opposite here, sort of see how far we can make it bend and, and then bounce back in the other direction. The one problem I do have, and I've I ran some numbers today. February 16th. And as of last week, the Fed hadn't really actually begun to taper. And I think that may be an interesting problem going forward because, you know, I think the rate hikes, your points about your points about the the rate hikes and the market's performance in the face of rising rate, they're borne out by data. There's there's no dispute to that. Yes, that that is the case. I do think, you know, the, the most dangerous phrase an investor or a trader can say is it's different this time. You, you've been around long enough to know that. But I, I do think that the amount of QE that we're throwing in the system, quantitative easing, mm-hmm. is a bit this, different this time. And so, you know, I, I think it's kind of interesting because the market, I think, has sort of taken the Fed at its word uh, that we're seeing a rate high, that we're seeing a reduction in, in QE, the reduction in bond purchases. But they the data doesn't really show it. They've been going up over $100 billion a month still. And I think that is right. what that to me is the biggest risk right now, yeah. is that given the negativity, when they actually do take their foot off the gas, so to speak, they've, talk, they've, they've talked a great game about preparing us for it. But in terms of the money flow, they really haven't made that they really haven't followed through with what they said they were going to do. And so that to me is the big risk going forward. I, 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 in the spirit of bouncing things off of people I trust whose views, do, do you, what, what would be your take on that? Uh, the Fed is, is walking a tightrope. And I think that sentiment right now is very fragile around what they're doing because I think half the people think that they're hiking at the wrong time. And they think that because the inflation is coming from the supply side. In other words, supply chains are screwed up, not from the demand side, meaning people are buying so much stuff, they're driving up price. And so um, I think there's a group of people who think the Fed is doing exactly the wrong thing at the wrong time. And there's a, 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 a pro- probably more vocal and larger group that say, are you out of your mind? They've let this thing go on way too long. I mean, you know, they should lock up Jerome Powell. He's been flooding the market with liquidity for years. Get rid of this guy. So there's this weird, um, uh, very polarized, like like every like politics, right? I mean, everything yeah, every, is so everything. polarized um, yeah. that I, I think it's making it really hard for the Fed to communicate and um, and to do its job and and say here's our path forward. That that's very well put because I think they really are in a in a box. And I, I I will say I think Chairman Powell has been very deft at handling these circumstances. And I I think it I think it behooves us all to root for him to to continue to use his um, skill at, at at managing these situations. Yeah. Now I know we're 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 kind of we've been we've been going at it for a while, and I you know I know we we're coming up on some you know the time where we'd normally want to wrap up. 
Is there anything we didn't get to? Is there anything you want you want our listeners to know about about you, about your firm, about your market outlook? Oh, gosh, thank you. Well, I'm the eternal optimist. I love what I do. Uh, I've taken it on the chin with uh, some of my positions, but that's all right. I've still got plenty of winners. Um, the greatest story in the world right now is the American ingenuity story. It's, it's the fact that we um, are producing more exciting technologies than anybody else, backed by well-capitalized companies more so than anybody else. And whether you wanna talk about artificial intelligence or clean energy or the digitization of physical assets or the digitization of money or on and on uh, automation, robotics, um, Internet of Things, Steve, there's so much momentum in this economy. We will get through this crazy time and I will continue to find wonderful companies for my subscribers to buy every week. I can't top that. That is that is that is one heck of a coda. <laughs> and I think we're going to I think we're going to leave it there because I, I, I wow, that summed everything up. Um, for those of you who have been listening, thank you very much. Once again, this is Interactive Brokers Traders Insight Radio. My guest today has been Adam Johnson, CEO, publisher, jack of all trades at Bullseye Brief. Please catch him here on Traders Insight or at bullseyebrief.com. And it was a real pleasure having the opportunity to sit down and talk to you today, Adam. Thank you so much. And we'll talk again oh, soon. Oh, Steve, thank Have you. A good one. Thanks for listening to Traders Insight Radio. As always, there's more content at tradersinsight.news. And if you're interested in learning more about interactive brokers, visit ibkr.com. We offer more trading education materials such as webinars at ibkrwebinars.com, market-related courses at tradersacademy.online, and quant-related articles at ibkrquant.com. Interactive Brokers is not affiliated with and does not endorse or recommend any third-party investment information, advice, services, or products discussed in this episode. The analysis in this material is provided for information only and is not and should not be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy any security. To the extent that this material discusses general market activity, industry or sector trends, or other broad-based economic or political conditions, it should not be construed as research or investment advice. To the extent that it includes references to specific securities, commodities, currencies, or other instruments, those references do not constitute a recommendation by IBKR to buy, sell, or hold such investments. The material does not and is not intended to take into account the particular financial conditions, investment objectives, or requirements of individual customers. Before acting on this material, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and, as necessary, seek professional advice. Futures are not suitable for all investors. The amount you may lose may be greater than your initial investment. Before trading futures, please read the CFTC Risk Disclosure. A copy and additional information are available at ibkr.com.